Welcome to Manager Tools. Onboarding, Chapter 1, The Basics. This cast answers these questions. What is onboarding? Why should I have a standard onboarding process? What are the basics of good onboarding? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Here we go. If you're one of the many managers who's been promoted into leadership due to your outstanding performance as an individual contributor, congratulations, you've earned this. Wait, what? You mean no one told you that the skills you spent your entire career honing would now collect dust while your directs do the work you love? And now you're in a role that frankly can't be that hard because it's not like we're going to train you to do it. Or are we? If you feel thrown into people management without a life raft, the Effective Manager Conference is for you. We help subject matter experts become the managers they weren't quite sure they could be by providing a step-by-step, actionable process for being people leaders. Visit us at manager-tools.com forward slash training to register today. I've learned it's not enough to have job offers you make be accepted, <laughs> right? I, I have all, I'll share the story later, but well, no, let me, I'll just share it now just to set this thing up because then you can just do the rest of the cast making fun of Mike and no. how stupid he was years ago. So this cast is the solution to a problem that Mike had many years ago where I offered, I had a, an open manager position and I interviewed folks. I had somebody in mind. Uh, he accepted, but he couldn't start for, I think it was t- at least two months. It might've been three months, which is pretty painful for me, but I thought he was the right guy, right? I just, uh, um, yeah. Anyway, so I offered, he accepted and we're waiting two or two or three months. And I didn't, folks, I didn't do any of the stuff that we're going to talk about today. And, um, the guy accepted, it's a matter of honor. He said, he'd be here. He'll be here. Exactly. And I found out that he was not going to show up the day before he was supposed to start. Can you imagine having this critical management position open, going three months, and then finding out the day before? Now, I had months ahead of me to find a replacement, right? It was one of my most painful management experiences um, that I've had in my career. And you know, Mark, because we were were talking at the same time, and you said, like, dude, and you shared with some of the stuff that you're going to share today. But at the time, I was incredibly angry at this young gentleman. And only later when I joined, got some wisdom and got a little older, I realized that it wasn't his fault. It was my fault. Right. And so folks, just spare yourself the pain of an experience like that and listen to what we have to share today. I would argue that it's not his fault. The moment you say yes, as as we have other podcasts, we, we say you're obligated. Now, if he'd had serious medical condition, a significant change in family situation, those kinds of things, completely understandable. But as I recall, his professional situation changed for him for the better. Well, he got offered a big raise is a way of, which is, we could, we could have another cast on why that it would not be wise for him to have accepted that raise too. Uh, But anyways, that's another thing. Yeah. So basically it's not enough to have job offers that you make be accepted, right? That's not the end of the road, but so much of our mental energy is around the stress and risk associated with an open position. And for many of us, those of you in larger organizations, the difficulty, administrative difficulty of getting an open rack, an open requisition is such that 
having an offer offer accepted is like, okay, that's the accomplishment. But actually, no, the accomplishment is turning that new hire, or put differently, getting a an effective new hire out of all of your candidates, as opposed to saying getting a hire or you know having your offer accepted. I think getting an offer accepted from a group of candidates, having one, going down to one, making an offer, having him or her say yes, is what we might call the military crest of the hill. If you're standing at the base of the hill, when you look up, the military crest is the last part of the hill that you see And then it protects some of the other hill, or put differently, somebody at the military crest of the hill can shoot at you. But on a lot of hills and mountains, if you're on the top, you can't shoot at the bottom because of the slope of the mountain. So you want to get to that military crest because that's the first place where there's maybe a flat spot behind it and you can sit down and rest and struggle after some ripe blackberries. But it's not the top. The top is having an effective team member. And if you think about it, if you get rid of the mountain analogy, it's a little bit like a valley analogy. The moment your person leaves, maybe you've got an awesome sales person and she can't turn down an opportunity to go somewhere else internally or externally. If you measure productivity for your whole team, now you've got a noticeable dip in productivity and you want to get back up to that same productivity line. Well, the way you're going to do that is assuming you can't figure out creative ways to do it with the people you have, and that's the first choice, you've got to fill that gap. And the gap isn't filled at the bottom of the gap when somebody accepts. The gap is filled, you know, probably 90 days or more after they've started. Yeah, another way of saying it is a lot of managers think that the hiring process ends at the point of the acceptance of the offer. I'm done, right? I've gone through it. Yeah. I got I've, I got somebody. The process is done. I just have to wait for the person to show up. And we just said, basically, the, the hiring process, think about the hiring process is lasting it, you know, through probably the first 90 days of the person being on board. Yeah. Don't let up at the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you've, folks, if you've ever lost a new hire, if you've ever had an acceptance rescinded or wondered why a great candidate turned into a horrible hire, that does happen. Although that's, probably more likely interviewing, you know that there's some importance in onboarding and we're going to go over the basics. Now, an important note, we're going to dig into the details here. When you talk about the details of a process, it's easy to get enamored of the process, but onboarding is a necessary thing. It's not a necessary evil, but it's not a necessary greatness. And what I mean by that is you need a process in place in order to avoid doing it poorly every time. But having an onboarding process will not make you an outstanding top performer. It will enormously minimize your risk because it allows you to think about other things. Part of the reasons we standardize processes is not to measure who doesn't follow them and get them in trouble for failing to follow the rules, Rather, it's so that we can devote more significant portions of our mental energy to the things that matter, which is time with our directs, strategy, deliverables in our core key projects. Onboarding is never going to be a core key project. I I wouldn't highlight it in my resume unless seven other groups or divisions or HR adopts it. But you've got to do it if you want to avoid the risk of the high investment of interviewing followed by the complete loss of your investment if 
someone doesn't turn out well because you fumble the ball in between date of acceptance and, say, 90 days after they're hired. Okay, so here's our outline. First, some of you may remember this, until you got something, you got nothing. And Mike's story certainly illustrates that. Onboarding usually goes through the first 90 days of a new hire. It is not the first week. Because remember, what we're shooting for here is high effectiveness, not administrative tasks complete. Okay, We're thinking about that productivity dip and getting it back to where we want it to be. Number three, discipline makes learning possible. It's one of my favorite thought processes. There are five phases you're going to go through. Closing the candidate, welcoming the candidate, preparing the candidate, the admin around, and lastly, the ramp up. You want to learn to switch from weaknesses to strengths. It's an important distinction we make as we think about new hires. And lastly, you've got to be able to communicate and report on this. And that includes a hot wash at the end. All right. So let's let's go to the first point. Until you got something, you got nothing, which most people think about it from the interviewee perspective, right? Well, I don't think most people do. Most people don't think about it at all, right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Most people crash and burn on that. Well, not managed tools listeners. Yeah. So if you own the interviewing series, our product of helping people be interviewed, you recognize the phrase being about an interviewee until you got something, you got nothing. What it means in this context is as an interviewer, well, let's start with the other side. If you're an interviewee, until you have an offer, you have nothing, okay? No amount of you're doing well here, you're clearly right for this role. I think this is a done deal. None of that mean anything at all. In fact, they're often intentionally mentioned to relax the candidate. So the interview is far easier for the interviewer, which ends up being to the detriment of the interviewee. Many candidates leave interviews where comments like these are made and tell others, oh, dude, I've got it. They're going to offer me. They love I've heard me. that a million times. Every time I just like, um. They're going to offer me is literally one of the 10 most insane things ever to say. Because you never, if you're smart, you never going to say it. Because you know, if they're going to offer you, you don't have to say that. You can actually wait until they offer you. And when, oh, they love me, right? Look, of course, interviewers want you to think that and want to have a conversational interview, want your guard down, want you relaxed. Even if they don't have ulterior motives, why wouldn't you want somebody to be relaxed when you interview them? Since presumably they'll be relaxed when they come to work. But regardless, all those comments are worthless. You have to keep working until you have the actual offer. Thus, until you have something, you have nothing. If you have a promise, a hint, an idea, even a guarantee, it is not a thing. It is a guarantee of a thing. It is an idea of a thing. And an offer is actually a specific thing. And a lot of you may not know this if you're not interviewing series product owners. Um, by the way, we should mention it's on the website. I think it's 150 bucks. Probably the single most touted product of manager tools. We get emails. I get thank you notes here at the house that stay pinned up by my desk. You know, you got me this job. I'm like, no, we. I always write back in emails. Nope, credit goes to the person in the ring. 
you have to follow the guidance. Plenty of people read that guidance and didn't follow it. You followed it and got what you wanted. So it's a series of about 50 podcasts, about 20 of which are private. You have to pay for and the other 30 are in the public domain and are built around the 20. And you're talking about the interviewing series product, right? Yes, exactly. Sorry. Did I not say that? No, it's, you didn't. I'm in, okay. I'm in my head. Yeah, everybody's yeah. going like, what is it? What is it? What is it? Sounds good. Yeah, it was the ultimate tease. An offer is a specific thing. It's not a good feeling. It's not a vote of confidence. It's not even, again, well, we're going to offer you here. It's not you're our top candidate. You may be. But if a company loses the ability to hire, they lose their open rack. Or you're the top candidate, but none of you meet the minimum standard for the job. No amount of being you the bat, being the best gets you what you want. An offer, now we're seeing all this from the interviewee perspective, okay? But we'll make that clear in a minute about why it matters for the interviewer. But an offer, and this is important, when control passes to the candidate. If you're, quote, still waiting to hear details, unquote, you obviously don't have an offer. The party in control in a situation like this doesn't have to wait. If you have to wait, you're not in control. If you don't know the job title and the salary and the location and the deadline for accepting, all four of these things are the components of an offer within the rubric of when control passes to the candidate. If you don't know those four things, you can't accept because control hasn't passed to you. If you tell your spouse, okay, the, sal the salary is this, the job is this, which is what we thought, but we don't know the location yet. Well, for some people, Nome, Alaska, or you know, Madrid, Spain, would might make a difference in your in your acceptance. And so, I don't know, I wouldn't accept a job offer without knowing the location. Acceptance is your decision, which would mean control has passed to you. Okay, now let's look at it from the other side. What happens when an actor an offer is actually given? Control passes from the company making the offer to the candidate. And now it's the company who has nothing. Now it's the company, you, Mr. Ms. Manager, who is waiting on the candidate. So now, because of the flip, it's true for the company. Until you got something, you got nothing. It doesn't matter what the candidate has said about their interest or how you're their number one company choice. It doesn't even matter if the company closed you and told you they wanted an offer, which by the way, is a total ninja move and you can read about it in our interviewing series. They may have multiple offers, one or more of which exceeded by far what they were expecting. And while you were first based on a sketching out of the opportunities and typical salaries and locations and so on, somebody else says, I'll give you the right location. I'll give you the right salary. I'll give you the right everything. And oh, by the way, we're going to give you a 30% bump. Or the other side of the coin, they may have no other offers, but your offer isn't at all what they expected it to be. And maybe you knew that, but the moment you made the offer and they've been telling you you're, they're your top you're their top choice, You've been thinking, well, it won't matter. But HR said, sorry, things are kind of tight right now. We can't do that. We're going to bring them in, in the lower third, not in the middle third. It's going to cost you $7,000. And $7,000 on a 70 or 80 or $90,000 a year job is distinctive. It's noticeable. In the hiring process, 
the classic mistakes companies make, and therefore essentially managers, is having gotten used to being in control of the process when the company had control and the candidate didn't, they continue to behave as if, with an underlying assumption, of course, that they're still in control even after the offer is made, when in fact, we are not. Now look, there is one way for you to influence your control or to get control back, but there's risk associated with it, and that is including a decision deadline with your offer, which is generally a component of the offer. Remember, if, I, if, if Mike tries to hire me and he says, hey, take as long as you want, then he can't take back that offer. Well, he, he will at some point, but he oughtn't to, because I could say six months from now, okay, I've decided to accept. And he might accuse me of being naive. My, Mark, people say that, but they don't really mean it. So I'm sorry, I thought you were an honest person and you mean what you say and say what you mean. And that's happened many, many times, probably hundreds, thousands, millions of times in professional life with offers and acceptances and heartbreak. So the solution to all this is to make your onboarding process one that not only includes actions you take once the candidate has accepted your offer, but also include actions that will help the candidate accept your offer. Because remember, acceptance is your goal. And if you become enamored of being in control and you've gotten to offer stage, you're thinking, particularly the way candidates are, then you know you're in control that oh, one, you know, he's going to accept or she's going to accept. If you lose that and they say no, and you haven't done a good job with your number two or number three, you may be very well back to the drawing board. And look, after all, what better way to start an onboarding process than to ensure you have a new hire as opposed to a turndown offer? Okay, we'll talk more about this. But once you've made an offer, you're no longer evaluating you're selling. If you're going to do that, that mindset switch, you ought to have a plan. That's a big switch for a lot of managers, right? Yeah, I think so. I, yeah, it feels that way to me. If every time you make an offer, you have to come up with a totally custom plan, you're wasting time repeating fairly common steps like regular check-ins, outreach from other people, answering questions, educating the former candidate, now your new offeree. And look, if you're making it up every time you do it, you're going to skip things. You're going to forget things. You're not going to learn as fast. And therefore, you're not going to get better as fast. If you have an unplanned process, I mean, obviously, I think the definition of process includes planning. If you have an unplanned process, you don't have a process. And you shouldn't be calling it a process. And if that's the case, you're going to have minimum, minimal improvement. And if you then go through a hiring rush, let's say over the course of the next two years, you hire three people and you don't really have a process, you sort of wing it because, hey, it's rare and, you know, we can figure it out and we've never lost anybody or everybody turns out okay around here because you've got a good, strong team or whatever. If you then later go through a hiring rush and you got to hire four people in six months, you're going to do really poorly at the hiring and building up effectiveness part of your job when you really need to have a high batting average. Heaven forbid you get the ability to hire four people because there's a rush, there's a growth spurt, and then you only are able to hire two because you're clumsy, and then the open wrecks shut down, 
and somebody else, another manager has four, she got four and you only got two because she had her head screwed on straight, had built a process over time. And it's not that big a deal. We're going to lay out the entire process for you. You can just use ours and iterate off of that one if you're willing to do a hot wash at the end. Look, if you don't have an onboarding process that includes selling the candidate from the making of the offer through to acceptance, it's one reason why candidate quality drops during that peak hiring period. Every moment you're thinking about what to do next is a moment you're not spending thinking about your offeree or your new hire processing. So the manager's onboarding process starts when you make an offer, not when a candidate accepts, because until you got something, you got nothing. Okay, why don't we stop there, and next week we'll pick up and go through the process. I feel bad, though. It seems like, is that the first time we've ever had only one bullet from the outline in a, in a podcast? I mean, maybe I was too verbose. I doubt it. But <laughs> I really like onboarding because it's something you can put in place. We're going to walk you through what you need to do, folks. We're going to give you a template, probably give you a spreadsheet to make it easy if you're a licensee. And then you can simply iterate on it and you'll always be getting better. And it's a bit like a pensive in, in Harry Potter where you can take that memory out of your head and put it somewhere else and get it back when you need to. So you can be focusing on people rather than on, should I or shouldn't call him? Should I do this? Should I do that? I don't know. Email, who should call? No, you just follow the process. And if the process is 20% off, You'll discover 19 of those 20 percentage points the first time you use it. And you'll still be appreciably better than you would be if you didn't have a process. Good. And let's do something different. I don't think we've ever done this before. And I, and I didn't talk to you about it. So, Oh, that'll be fun. So we'll see. We'll see if this, if this actually ends up in the podcast and doesn't get cut out. Folks, you'll know that I was successful. So I'm suggest that since we're going to cover this next week, if you, listener, are in the process of hiring or onboarding or in the process and you have questions you want to make sure we address during oh. the cast send us an email or tweet it or whatever absolutely and we'll make sure that we uh, address it in the follow-up to this cast so um i like that idea i hope folks take us take us up on that that'd be kind of cool that will mean we'll have to wait right we can't record yeah we won't be further able. parts of the podcast until after this one goes out yeah, we'll suffer for you guys. We'll suffer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, folks, take us up on it. It'd be, it'd be very, very interesting and, and, and fun for us to to hear what you're going through and make sure that we uh, address it. So I think the last time we did this in a, in a formal way was the juggling koan, which is, gosh, it's got to be 10 years ago. That was, a little, that was a while ago. So send it to customer service at manager-tools.com. All right, my friend, uh, I look forward to uh, getting some... Uh, some input from folks and uh good idea partner we'll continue this uh later on all right thanks my friend thanks dude see you later